I'm here, baby. I'm ready, baby. Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder. Believe me. I am patiently. You don't want to miss this episode because the tables are turned on the veterinary community. Do we practice what we preach or do we stray from our message? Cause you keep telling me this and telling me that. I'm Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm Becky Mosser, registered veterinary technician. This week, we are going to explore our veterinarians and veterinary technicians the best pet parents they can be. Do we practice what we preach or do we sometimes go off script? So, Cindy, let's get started with this conversation and tell me a little bit about your opinion on our veterinary healthcare professionals providing the best care for their pets. And I think when our pet owners come into the exam room, there's a lot of fear about being judged. They're worried that their veterinarian or the veterinary technician is sitting there in the exam room, you know, thinking that they're a bad pet owner because they did or didn't do that. And much of the time, we're worried about what they did or didn't do because we sometimes forget to do things too. Cindy, I think you're right. Are we shaming our clients? Are we making them feel like they aren't providing the best care? They're looking at us and they're making this big assumption that those guys, these professionals are doing absolutely everything. And here I am, you know, I forgot to give my heartworm preventive last month, so I'm in big trouble. Becky, as a technician, you're encountering this firsthand. Are we practicing what we preach? I probably would say not always. I think we pick and choose the areas that are important to us. And I think we do that in our own pets' lives. And I think sometimes we even do that with our clients where we harp a little bit stronger on dental care if that's where our passion lies or obesity if that's where our passion lies and nail trims if that's what we really can't stand. So um, I think we have to pick and choose because there are so many things for personal care when it comes to pets. And it's hard to stand there and be on a soapbox to someone who's trying to wrangle three kids in an exam room and the four pets that they brought to get it all in on one trip. Okay, so Becky, I'm not going to let you off the hook just yet. Here we go. You're, you're, I agree with everything you've just said. But now the, the technician, the veterinarian, isn't doing something, right? So they're about to recommend that. Does it influence that next thing that comes out of their mouth? So let's say, for example, you forgot to brush your dog's teeth. Do you now avoid that conversation with the client? I wouldn't say I avoid it, but I maybe will admit to the client, like, have you been brushing teeth? That's okay. I don't either. I understand it's hard to fit into your day, but long term, it's going to save us money and time because. So I do try to use sympathy and let them know that I'm not perfect about it, but I remind them I have access to dental care a little bit easier and maybe at a discount and they don't and try to use that as an initiative for them to do the home care because it's going to cost them more money than it's going to cost me. And I think personally, when I make recommendations, if it's something I've struggled with, it gives me practical advice to give our clients. If I've had to find my way around the difficulties, I can tell them, you know, I deal with teeth brushing by linking it to giving my pet dinner every day. Yes, I've had to put my pet on a diet. And yes, it's kind of a pain in the butt to pick up extra poop, but that high fiber diet is worth it. Okay. So Cindy, I agree. Nutrition and dental care kind of safe havens. You know, you can easily laugh it off, say, you know, I struggle with the food bowl and I don't often brush my dog's teeth. What about vaccines? What if you work in a clinic that 
for whatever reason, encourages people to vaccinate the core antigens yearly. How does that play out in the real world of associate veterinarians? Well, gosh, and, you know, I think I'm lucky enough to not find myself in that position. And I would object to that just because it's something I don't personally agree with if that's not what's indicated for that specific vaccine. Um, There are some vaccines that we do keep up with yearly, for instance, leptospirosis. There are others that we do every three years, uh, such as rabies and distemper vaccinations. That may be an individual veterinarian's decision to figure out what's appropriate and what's not. Um, Again, that's a tough position where personally I choose to have discussions with clients individually about the the risk for their individual pet and, again, discuss with clients, you know, how have I made those determinations of risk for my own pet? How can they make determinations of risk for theirs? All right, and agreed. Certainly vaccines have been fraught with controversy. You know, I stuck my neck out back in the late 1990s and went very public, you know, encouraging veterinarians to adopt longer duration uh, vaccines and certainly to change the way they vaccine. But Cindy, we still live in a world where thousands upon thousands of veterinarians are going in and being asked to do something that maybe they aren't doing themselves. And, and maybe we can, you know, you can frame that any way you want. Maybe it's basic blood and urine test annually. Uh, how does the veterinarian who has slipped or is doing, how does that translate into the conversation? And, and what I'm really digging at here is, does it influence what we recommend and with the veracity that we would recommend it if you're not doing it? Yeah, and this is not a conversation that I've never heard before. You know, I've definitely talked with other veterinarians about this where, you know, the clinic as a whole has come up with a set of guidelines and they say, you know, we as a clinic really believe in doing blood work every single year. And maybe 75% of the veterinarians in that clinic agree that that is 100% the way to go. But maybe 25% of the veterinarians in that clinic think, hey, maybe that's a little bit of overkill. Um, In my personal experience, I find those are veterinarians who maybe aren't recommending that as strongly or they're suggesting it, but talking about the pros and cons um, and explaining why they might or might not do that for their individual pet. But but I do think emotionally that comes across in how the veterinarian then talks about that service. And personally, I think it, it degrades trust between the veterinarian and their client. I, I think pretending that clients can't tell that in your voice, that that's not something right. you don't really believe in, is silly. Uh, I think people can tell if you really believe that something is important or not. Right. And for me, in my clinics, our goal was to create a culture of healthy habits. That's what we called it. And we started this with the hiring process. When we were looking at a prospective hire, the singular most important thing that we looked at, of course, beyond you know their credentials and education and so forth, was the care that they provided for their pet. So for example, if we were, during the interview process, we were asking, you know, how many pets do you have? When's the last time they had blood tests? When's the last time they had a dental procedure? You know, where are they kept? Do they sleep inside or outside? That's where we focused because we knew it would be very difficult to change that veterinary technician or veterinarian's core beliefs. Becky, when you hear a, a practice owner or management expert say that, what, what's your response, Becky? Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I have a lot to say over here, and I was trying not to interrupt, but I'm like, oh, so much. So number one, I kind of agree and disagree with that in the sense of I know what a salary looks like for a veterinary technician, and I know what discounts often even look like for technicians in the hospitals that they work at. And I know the 
the ratio to income for technicians a lot of times. And even with a discount, I have known technicians who have bills in the thousands of dollars with their veterinary clinics because they're trying to maintain that or they're taking care of pets who need $1,000 worth of surgery and they're going to be euthanized. Otherwise, we talked about this a few weeks ago. So sometimes I think technicians have a hard time with doing that baseline. It's not an excuse, um, but they don't make enough money sometimes and they're overwhelmed, they're pet poor, uh, and, and that's really hard. One other thing I kind of wanted to comment on was the, the the really hard part for technicians, and I think what they're out there probably wanting to hear me say right now, is working for veterinarians in clinics where they do have a different opinion than than the norm, or clinics where you have to support two and three veterinarians who all have different protocols and all have different beliefs. It's a really, really hard thing for your support staff to do and get behind. And the number one thing I do encourage technicians to do is find the literature, try to help educate veterinarians to get on the same page, and to get on the page of what's best for the pets no matter what. But that is a really big struggle that technicians out there, I think, are finding today um, on both sides. And Becky, it is a big struggle for all of us. And that's why I want to I want to push you a little harder on this. So now the first part of your, your concern is technicians are not being paid adequately to provide this level of care. How does that affect their recommendation to a client when they're sitting there going, this client doesn't make any more money than me? Right. And we talked about that, too, in terms of educating the staff on the financials of the clinic. I think sometimes if the staff thinks, wow, we really do overcharge for blood work, and I have a hard time recommending that amount for that client, um, we, just like Dr. Cindy said, emotionally convey how we feel about that. And we'll tell them, do a little research, let us know if you're interested. We find ways to communicate to our clients between the lines if we feel like we need to. And, And we will do what we feel is best emotionally a lot of times. Becky, I'm so grateful for your explanation. Um, Honestly, I think it's just important for us as veterinarians to hear that, especially the insights about different doctors and different doctors taking different approaches. And, you know, I I completely believe in what I said, and you're absolutely right. We put technicians in a place where they have to emotionally be behind three different doctors' recommendations, and, and that's emotional work and that that must be a struggle. So the more we can get on the same page, the more helpful that is for you guys. So so thank you for bringing that up. And I agree, Cindy. And that is one of leadership. This is where if you call yourself a practice owner or practice manager, you've got to strive to create this culture because these are cultural discrepancies. These are misalignments between, as, as Becky was saying, two or three doctors with two or three different philosophies and recommendations. It puts our staff in a very difficult situation, and they don't often know how to to work within that context. And I think the financial question is one we can all relate to, too, whether, you know, technicians definitely have to deal with it on a more consistent basis, but veterinarians do, too. And we have also related to our clients. There have definitely been services I've wanted to pursue for my pets that I haven't been able to afford. And that does allow us to empathize with clients and to also talk about payment options and to talk about pet insurance and to help provide those tools to our clients as well. Now, I think, too, on the flip side, I want to say, 
I do sometimes become a little bit more stern, for example, when I've had to come up with the money to provide a particular service and it has financially strapped me, but I made a commitment to a pet and that's the best thing to do. So I, I do want to say though that there are times that I'll say to a client, I totally understand how expensive that is. I do that for four pets. <laughs> and right. then they kind of don't have that answer back of why they can't do it for their one. So sometimes I do also use it as a tool to help owners realize this is our obligation. We made a commitment and we've got to take care of the pet either way. Yeah. And that's a tricky spot too, because sometimes it can be uh, perceived as judgmental. And this is why, again, if you're a manager owner, you really need to explore options such as pet insurance for your staff. I mean, we live in a day and age when we've got some really good pet insurance products and it's just one way to ease that pain. And we have to remember as well, when we approach ourselves as pet owners, you know, Pecky pointed out that she has four pets. We are in a field where we've obviously chosen it because we love animals. So our pet owners may not be approaching pet ownership with that same amount of enthusiasm and right. dedication. So we we can't be as judgmental. We can't assign the same amount of value that, that we place on pets to those pet owners too. Well, let me just transition to just a slightly different part of this topic and conversation, and that is nutrition, because obviously that's something I'm very passionate about. So, Becky, what's your best advice if the, the food that you're selling in your clinic isn't the food you feed your pet? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, that's never happened to me ever. I've never, <laughs> ever encountered that. Uh, no, yeah, I think, again, it's education. The best I can do is find some studies, find some literature. Sometimes I find talking about something is easier when I have a third-party, quote-unquote, object to talk about. So, hey, doc, did you see this study about this company's food or this study about this food or case? And, and find something to talk about that isn't directly about the food we're carrying in the clinic, but a way to talk about nutrition. Okay. Well, let me interrupt, Becky. So are, are you saying that if you feed a different food than what you're recommending to your client, that you're going to say, here's some scientific evidence that supports this recommendation, but yet I'm not heeding that? Oh, no, I'm saying here's scientific recommendation to feed what I want uh, and try to convince my veterinarian a better product to carry in-house okay. that I believe in a little bit more than okay. what we're currently carrying. All right, but let's continue the conversation. Your vet looks at this dad and he says, nope, don't buy it. Continue to recommend this particular food. Now you're stuck with that bag or can at home or your own home-prepared diet, whatever it is that you're doing. How do you, how do you resolve that? It's so hard. And that's what I was talking about before. And the really, the thing is, is clients ask me in the room, what do you feed your dog? And I'm not going to lie to the clients. I say, this is what we carry. This is what I feed. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I, I now work for myself. That could be why, but I'm not going to lie and, and make a recommendation I don't believe in, but I can inform them this is what we carry. And this is what is being recommended. There's a lot of options out here. Here's where you can get more information. You've got to pick what's best for your pet. And I feel so grateful. Uh, in hearing this conversation, it makes me recognize what technicians I've worked with in the past have done. And I often, I re recollect the conversation, Dr. Courtney really believes in this because. And often, I my technicians will have will know me well enough and I will have talked with them long enough that they understand the emotions, not just the facts, but the emotions behind the recommendation I'm making. And they focus the conversation on that. And Cindy, that is why I keep coming back to this word culture, because you are in a, 
environment that supports that belief, that philosophy, that ethic. And this is, again, all I've ever tried to do is create a culture of healthy habits around me because it translates into the exam room. And that's why I really do think that it's important for everybody to believe in everybody's opinion in the practice. And using your word culture, create a culture in your practice where everyone's opinion is valued. It may not be agreed upon, and we can all find backing for our arguments, but we can have healthy conversations. And then just like Dr. Cindy said, we know why other people believe in what they believe in. And I think as technicians, we would have a better time and and an easier time representing different veterinary points of view if at least we could understand why that veterinarian believes believed in that. So understand technicians aren't questioning you when we ask why, but give us that information so we can convey your passion to your clients. And that is brilliant insight. And everybody needs to rewind this episode to go back and review what Becky just said. I'm also not saying that everybody is going to be in total agreement on all things. But what I am saying is that our culture is pretty much in agreement with the vast majority. The big issues that I think we always struggled to confront were vaccinations protocols, you know, nutrition, certainly around blood work and urinalysis and disease prediction. Those types of things, you need to be in a clinic that is fully supportive of your belief or it's going to come across awkwardly in the exam room. Uh, the other place I think we have a chance to create a culture of understanding and, and beliefs surrounding preventing care and making consistent recommendations is making sure that we're providing care to our team. When we have uh, technicians come last, when we have staff pets come last and as an afterthought or where we, we don't provide that care, I worry that... Uh, you know, people don't have the experience. They don't know why it's important. Um, if we're not, you know, insisting on rechecks for our own employee pets, if we're not making sure that, you know, I know Dr. Ward, you do it ahead of time, making sure that the staff you're hiring wants to keep up with that care ahead of time. If we've already got someone in our clinic, we've got to make sure that, that they're providing good care and that we, we help maintain that. And Sydney, you brought up a very interesting conundrum, and that is when you have the staff member who abuses this system. So now they've got 20 cats and every day they're in there with another ailment from some cat. And those are the stories that I get out on the lecture circuit. And what I try to tell veterinarians is be very, very cautious with that. A, that may be the wrong employee. I mean, it just flat out may be the wrong person for your position. They just, there may be other issues involved. But B, if you're having your staff asking you questions, concerned about the care and health of their pets, that's probably more positive than negative because if they're that attentive to their own dogs and cats and birds and horses and goats, then they're going to translate that into the exam room. So I cherish it. And I think there are also some limitations that people should be aware of. I was lucky enough to recently be talking with a veterinarian who is also a lawyer and I think based on tax law, there are also some limitations on the the percent of discounts we're allowed to give uh, to any of our employees when it comes to veterinary care. And that may impose some limits as well. It can. And honestly, you know, I have fought these battles for 25 years as a practice owner. The benefits are very generous. Also, there are very creative accounting techniques that you can use. If that is the first barrier that we throw up there, oh, I can't do it because of taxes, I think that we've got a cultural issue within the clinic. So for me, I don't blame the tax code. I actually say, let's get creative and solve this problem. And I know we harp on it a lot, but um, I have worked in clinics where they provide pet insurance for 
there's employee pets for that reason. So because they're limited by that, they're able to, hey, you'll be covered by pet insurance. And that's one way they're able to give their employees an additional benefit. And it's not something they have to worry about the percentage of discount. So just want to throw that in there because it's one thing I've seen work that's wonderful. And when you have pet insurance for your pet, I think you believe more in it when you're recommending it to your clients. Absolutely. It it totally works. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think we've all seen that. It's just how do we get that message broad and wide so that the, the profession accepts it? Um, Cindy, just another quick spin here. We found the most successful way to do this was through our weekly staff training. So each week we sat down with our entire team, a full-time uh, team, and we would go over different topics. So we were actually you know, encouraging, espousing, and reinforcing our messages. Have you seen those types of techniques, you know, weekly staff training or a really you know, serious training Uh, benefit the practice as far as unifying behind that message and those recommendations in the exam room? So I'll admit that, unfortunately, I've been in practices that have been very, very diverse in terms of the the approaches that different veterinarians within the practice have taken. My very first practice I worked in, we had a couple of veterinarians that took a Western approach and one veterinarian that took a more holistic approach. Um, The practice I've been in since has been in a couple of periods of transition since I've been there. And so the staff meetings haven't been as focused in terms of one set of recommendations uh, because we had such a diverse group. And I, I've missed that. I really would like to see more of that. And I, I do think it's essential. I, I think that's the the first tier of leadership is just unifying behind certain messages. And again, keep it simple. If you're listening to this, to this number one, I want to hear what you have to say and what your experiences are, but, but keep these concepts simple. First of all, anchor your vaccine protocol, your philosophy. Next, move on to your nutritional formulation philosophy. Third, when do you recommend blood work in your analysis? And those are simple steps that you can take and you ensure that your staff are doing this. We did record reviews. So, you know, every year as part of your evaluation, whether you're on a six-month or a yearly evaluation schedule, we quickly went through your, your pet's records to make sure that you were practicing what we want you to preach. Becky, have you encountered that, sort of these record reviews where maybe your employer looked, you know, and made sure that you were getting the blood and urine tests and the vaccines and so forth? You know, I I haven't seen that a whole lot, but I know as a veterinary technician, I have gone to office managers and said, you know, you might want to look at Dr. So-and-so's records. We're not doing blood work and x-rays where we should, or we're doing an excessive amount of testing, in my opinion, where it's really costing the clients money, and I know they're on production. And I've had to use that as like a heads up because... As a technician, I have concerns about why or what a veterinarian's doing, and they can't be open and honest with me about it. Um, and, and again, getting into practices where you have different protocols, there are times that sometimes I would like to, to understand better why we're making those decisions. And I think it's an, a, an amazingly great idea, and I think it's going to help technicians not feel like there are certain doctors doing things that are, are un- inappropriate or, or not doing things that are appropriate. So, Cindy, from an associate veterinarian perspective, you know, here I am saying these record reviews. What I have found in my experience working with other clinics is there are holes in the bottom of the boat, and they come in the form of recommendations in the exam room. And then when you look at who drilled those holes, you find out it's an associate veterinarian who, as you mentioned in the very beginning of this podcast, have a different view on some of these big issues. How do we plug the holes, and more importantly, how do we prevent them from drilling them in the first place? Yeah, and I think we touched on the emotions that are at the core of that, that if somebody doesn't believe in something, no matter how much you tell them to make that recommendation, they're going to feel like a fraud while they're making that recommendation, and they're going to make a cruddy recommendation. 
And the client is, you know, even if they make it, going to be less likely to take that recommendation. So I think education is a part of that. And having frank discussions about, well, tell me more about where you're coming from, why you do or don't believe in, and why this is important, and, and getting to the core of that. And Sydney, of course, it breaks my heart when you were given the example of you have these people on the far end of the spectrum. They're only interested in Western modalities. And then you have someone who's completely yeah. opposed to that on the opposite side of the holistic spectrum. <laughs> we really have got to come in the middle because our goal as professionals, as healthcare providers, should be to provide the best level of care regardless of where it originated. Absolutely. And and I apologize for explaining it that way. And, and to be frank, one of the nice things about us all working together in the same clinic is that there's a lot of cross-pollination. And so, for example, in that clinic, we understood a lot more about vaccine titering. And so we would talk to, to clients in general a lot more about titering and had clients coming in who were interested in that. Right. And that's the best case scenario is when people do come together and, and actually have rational discussions. The worst case scenario is you have the person who is st- staunchly opposed to vaccines, let's just say annual vaccines, and the clinic is is saying that we have to do this. They are the ones that are not afraid to drill a hole in the boat because they will sink that ship to make their point. And that, Becky, I think gets back to the issue that we're really concerned about, that emotional fraud that we sometimes feel. I agree. I do. And and I'm sitting here thinking about record review on the technician level as well. Muriel did a study um, a few years ago, uh, mystery shopped a lot of clinics, and they found out that over half of the, the visits, like 52%, no one was mentioning flea or tick prevention at the visit, not from the time that the client walked in to the time that they walked out. So there are things that we know are super important. We know we're not talking about them, and, and that education is so important. And so I'm thinking to myself, what if we review for technicians as well? What are the protocols of the things they should be talking about? And how do we check and make sure our technicians are having the conversations they should be having as well? Well, certainly we can't solve all of these problems within a short podcast, but I hope that we have encouraged you to consider your role in the personal care you provide for your pets and how it impacts your recommendations, because this is a very important topic that touches us all. And I know we wanted to close off our podcast tonight with a couple veterinary professional confessions. There are times that all of us have fallen by the wayside, and we wanted to share some of those with you. Dr. Ward, do you want to lead us off? Sure. I I think that for me, the biggest issue revolves, or the guilt that I have, revolves around exercise. You know, I am a person that uh, engages in daily physical activities. It's an important part of my life. I've been competitive in a wide variety of of things over my life, and uh, I don't always make the time for my pets. So here I am, you know, spending hours and hours, you know, in a gym, on a bike, in a pool, on the road, and yet, you know, it's hard for me to find 30 minutes to go for that run with my dog. Becky? Okay, so I think that my biggest confession is probably going to be training. And part of that is because you guys know I'm active with a service dog training organization. And so I spend time working with dogs that save lives and mine are atrocious. So much so that I have to record my podcast from my car because they are likely to instantaneously burst out in ridiculousness or interrupt me and knock my microphone off the table. So my confession is I train dogs to save lives and mine have zero manners. And my little Pomeranian, just over the holidays, we we thought we were so good at puppy proofing. We thought we were so good at picking everything up and making sure it was out of reach for her. And how hard can it be? She's a Pomeranian. There is really not a whole lot of height that she can get. And yet there was this this little toy. 
a hard plastic toy you'd think it's difficult to get into and it had a whole bunch of m&ms stuffed up inside of it and yet somehow she got to it got it open got into a whole bunch of m&ms uh had that panicked moment where i was like how much chocolate was in that what type of chocolate and is it toxic and luckily it ended up not being but yeah occasionally she gets into things she shouldn't she also loves pens and so she'll she'll totally rip those apart so uh, sometimes even i fall short on that front and and my dog gets into things she shouldn't and totally destroys them i'm here baby i'm ready baby i'm waiting on you well, you certainly have seen that we are real people with real shortcomings, just like everybody. You've heard our views. Now we want to hear yours. Follow up with us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder or on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. Thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to another great episode next week where we're talking about diversity in the practice, different personalities, and even appearances. How do you deal with them? Thanks for listening. Talking about you loving me.